Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Get Good at Presenting with myself, Lee Jackson. I hope you're enjoying the episodes so far. Uh, I'm aiming to make them as down-to-earth and as non-jargony as possible just to help you to be great when you're presenting. I've learned by listening to loads of people and I've learned by watching lots of people. And so I'm trying to invite a lot of those people, some of my friends, some professional speakers, some people that are in and around the industry. And I've got a brilliant guest today. Uh, my my friend Steve Bustin is here. So welcome, Steve. Hey, Lee. How you doing? Yeah, very good. Very good. So you, your your website, Get Your Voice Heard. I love that. Mm. It is, well, it's funny. It was something that a client said to me. They said, that's what you help people do is you help people to get their voice heard. And I suppose I, that's really what I've spent most of my career doing. So, yeah, it just it, it was one of those things where somebody said it and thought, that's good. I'm going to nick that. Um, so, yeah, now it's the business name. Yeah, it's, it's often it's often kind of what your clients say to you that becomes your business often, isn't it? You know. Yeah, completely. And actually, it's amazing how many people have never asked a client, what do we do for you? It's one of the things I actually talk about from the stage sometimes is, you know, it's, it's a great thing to do. You might be surprised by the answer. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the reasons I went with them. Um, so I'm, I've sort of been rebranding over the last few months with Get Good mm. and stuff. And so Get Good is my kind of thing. You help us to get goodly. You help us to get confident. It was all around that kind of discussions, really. I mean, I know you because you're on the board of the Professional Speaking Association, the PSA. I've known you through that for a few years now, I think. Yeah. And I think the first time we met, we randomly had breakfast at a PSA conference probably about, I don't know, six or seven years ago. I remember yeah. just randomly having breakfast with you. And that's yeah, how we met, I think. And that's one of the joys of that sort of event, isn't it? Is the, you know, there's you sit down at a table, there's an empty seat opposite you and somebody says, can I join you? And yeah, I mean, that, that to me is is the best bit about those sorts of events. You know, the chance to sit down and start talking to people. So, yeah, it must be five or six years ago at least. Yeah, and it's um, it's very rare because I don't really talk to many people at breakfast, to be honest, Steve. So it's kind of, <laughs> You're not really a morning person. I'm not known for my well. I, I can I can get up and do it when I have to, but my option would be for events to be in the afternoon and evening if I had a choice. <laughs> we all know we all know our little uh, our little strengths and weaknesses, don't we? Yeah, so, yeah. You need a little um, sign to put on your table saying "Go away, leave me alone." I was being sociable, and you were very kind to me, so that's nice. <laughs> Good. So, um, but your background is not actually as a speaker and presentation coach. Your background is is sort of journalism. Is that right? Mm. And, yeah, I'm a journalist by background. Please don't hate me. I haven't hacked a phone, I promise. Um, so, yeah, I started my career as a journalist for BBC. Um, worked at uh, Broadcasting House initially and then moved over to Television Centre uh, and worked across various radio and TV networks. So, yeah, it was a fascinating way to to, to, to get going. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found myself as a, as a voyeur, if you like, at world events. The strange thing about being a journalist is you're reporting on the interesting and exciting things that other people are doing. Um, so it's very easy to think of yourself as being part of these big events, but actually you are, you're one step removed from them. So it was a yeah, really interesting experience, fascinating place to work. Yeah. I once got, I, once, uh, I do write for a men's magazine called Sorted, and it's the only kind of vaguely journalism thing I do. And I've written, I've written for it every couple of months or so. And they sort of gave me a press pass type thing. And it got me to meet the Dalai Lama once with that. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so I actually got in the room with people from the BBC and everything else. And I was just like, what am I doing here? But I got to ask him a question. So I was like, yeah, there's something magical about those little press passes, right? Oh, there is. And it's interesting. I mean, people do still respect journalists and they, you know, people will go out of the way to help a journalist because, um, you know, ultimately they are just doing a job. Journalism as an industry has become 
um, I think it's fair to say devalued over the last few years and, and they've become the whipping boys in many ways. But actually, most journalists are there to report or to find and report the truth. Um, so, yeah, it's always great. I mean, yeah, Press Pass will get you really will allow you to access all areas, so, uh, you know. But it was interesting because I, I mean, I was at the B for about seven or eight years interviewed all sorts of people i've dorset margaret thatcher i interviewed tony blair very briefly interviewed john prescott a number of times um which is fun but actually in the end i suddenly realized that i was never going to get to the top in the in where i was because i wasn't obsessed with news in the way that a lot of my colleagues were just obsessive Uh, i was really interested in communication i was really interested in stories and things but actually i wasn't obsessed as a journalist and and i could i could see i could recognize that those who were getting ahead in their careers were the ones who were obsessive about it so i then got um offered the opportunity to jump ship somebody headhunted me to go and become pr director for a dot com uh, and i took it um which oh, okay. i think was a was a at the time was a scary step it was a startup uh, they just got three and a half million pounds of venture capital uh, which we then proceeded to burn our way through in 18 months and go bust um so, <laughs> it wasn't just you it wasn't it was just you that burned that so. no absolutely absolutely but it was i mean it, this was 2000 2001 2002 uh it was absolutely the dot-com bubble and i learned a lot about business watching a business go out of business um i and i think a number of my colleagues could see the writing on the wall for some months we could see that you know the, the revenue wasn't there the cash flow wasn't there all those sorts of things um, but it was, I mean, I have to say, we did the dot-com lifestyle. We did have the warehouse offices in Shoreditch. We did do team days to health spas. We, you know, we did do the whole dot-com <laughs> bubble, which was great fun. It was fun spending that money, but I'm glad it wasn't my cash. My uh, but it was then when that went down, um, that I started doing freelance gigs initially, sort of as a journalist and then and some PR. And that became my business. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, originally I was sort of tidying myself over and suddenly thought, you know what, I can make a go of this. So originally I was, I sort of set myself up at doing PR uh, with a bit of freelance print journalism on the side, which is a, a slightly unholy mix. But then people started asking me to go and speak at events. Um, I was I was a very early adopter with social media. Um, in fact, with the internet generally, I was one of the small team responsible for introducing the internet into the BBC newsroom. Um, so <laughs> Really? Yeah. Was, it, was it like brought in on like a machine or something? Virtually, it was like, yes. This is the internet here. They were so sceptical. I remember us running a webinar and one of my colleagues standing up saying, right, this is called Google. We think this is going to be quite interesting. And all the editors going, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us another one. You know, we're all using Ask Jeeves. We don't need another search engine. Um, so people started asking me to go in and, and talk about social media. Um, and then people said, oh, would you come and speak at a conference? And then people said, oh, actually, you're quite good on stage. Can you teach me how to do presentations and train the trainer. And my PR business gradually grew to become, I suppose, a training business and and, and some speaking. Eventually, it got to a point where I was just like, actually, what I'm really enjoying is, this, is the training and speaking. And I had a business coach said, why on earth are you still doing PR? It's not making you happy. You've got another revenue stream that actually is more lucrative and that you really enjoy. Go and do that. So I ended up, I mean, after 11 or 12 years running the PR business, I ended up firing my final client and um, uh, um like, and then, no no freelancer ever has fired a client right <laughs> that's it it's a it's the best feeling i mean it was they were they were a lovely company but it was just it was actually a really good feeling knowing that i could put that behind me and concentrate on what i do now really yeah i i remember our, our speaker colleague steve mcdermott i don't you know steve a little bit 
he's from he's from the northeast. He's been around a while. He's, he he was a award winning speaker, and I went on one of his courses early on when I was starting. And he used to be in advertising, <laughs> and he said he said he knew he'd finished his time in advertising when when McCain, uh, the frozen food company, came in, and their opening line was, "It's a very exciting time for frozen chips right now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah run for the hills you know your career is over at that point he, th- he thought yeah i'm gonna leave advertising become a speaker now and i, I thought it was a great story similar yeah. kind of thing right you gotta yeah you gotta go with you where you're passionate and i think it's yeah. i think when people I, I don't know that i've talked about this on the podcast before but i think the the issue of validation is so important mm. when i was a 19 20 year old when i first like did a talk at a youth group or something or someone said to me you're really good at that lee Mm-hmm. And I was like, am I? Because <laughs> I genuinely wasn't self-aware. I genuinely didn't realize. But when someone validates your skills, not in a kind of a, you know, it's not like your family trying to be nice to you, you know, like, oh, that was lovely. You know, that's not what I mean. But when someone says you're really good at that, then you do have to take notice, don't you? Completely, completely. And and yeah, I mean, the same happened to me. It was people started saying, oh, actually, you're good at that. Can you come and do this? Can you teach me how to do it? Um, and it is, it's, I suppose it's when somebody who doesn't need to boost you up, boosts you up. Yeah. And as you say, says you're good at this. And particularly when they say, can you teach me how to do it? So you think, yeah. OK, there is something in this. Um, I'm also a big believer in the Sunday night blues problem. You know, if you're somebody who gets Sunday night blues. Yeah. And you think, you oh, know, another working week, you're in the wrong job. Um, yeah. I think it's important that actually, you know, you if you recognize that and if you're not enjoying what you're doing, for heaven's sake, go and do something else. Life's too short to be stuck in a job yeah. you're not enjoying. And I did get a bit like that with PR. Um, yeah. So actually, when I suddenly realised, and it was pointed out to me, that I had an alternative revenue stream, getting rid of it, getting shot of it, freed me up in so many ways. And I'm you know, I'm lucky. I love what I do. Um, I yeah. really enjoy the variety. I enjoy the challenges it gives me. I enjoy the people I get to work with. So, yeah, I don't get something like blues. I, you know, I enjoy what I do. I don't let it take over my life um you know i enjoy having a work-life balance but i do think yeah sunday night blues is a is a good acid test if you're on a sunday night heavy heart preparing for a working week something's got to change i still think being a speaker and presentation coach which is the two halves of my job i still think it's quite a tough job because i I don't get sunday night blues but i might get a little bit of sunday night nerves oh yeah I i might be thinking about monday but it's not in a a woe is me kind of way it's in a kind of excited but a little bit apprehensive you know yeah uh, yeah and and yeah and that's that's actually i think part of the fun is that that looking forward to the week and that apprehension that what am i doing next and what's the challenge this week and that sort of stuff is really exciting and it's it is one of the joys of of doing what we do absolutely yeah so you so uh, what was interesting what nice question for you maybe steve is that because you do you still do obviously writing and uh, you know you still do stuff and you work Mm. with the psa you do some you do some uh you know, you write stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right word. But but I, I work with clients often who who will bring me a speech, but it's a written speech. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, a dialogue about the written word is different to the spoken word. So because you've lived in both those camps, you're a speaker, you're a presentation coach, but you also you're a journalist. Mm-hmm. Words, you know, in those days, they probably never had a little photograph of you. It was just literally the words on the page. What, what, what kind of... Can you speak into that a little bit, the difference between written and spoken and how you've had to learn to to do and have a foot in both of those camps, really? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, my 
journalism initially was broadcast. I mean, that's where I did my journalistic training was within the BBC. So it was all about broadcast, which is, of course, the spoken word. Yes, you write a script, but you're writing for it to be spoken. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it took me a while actually to then transfer my skills into the written word. And, you know, I wrote a lot. I wrote for The Times. I wrote for Gay Times. I wrote for all sorts of publications for several years. Um, And that took me a while to, to, to flick that over. And what I now love about the written word is the opportunity to be a bit more discursive, to be um, a bit more um, exploratory. Yeah. But actually, you've still got to make sure it's direct, it's clear, it's easy to read. In the same way, you've got to make your, so your speech is direct, easy to hear, clarity, brevity, all those sorts of things. But yeah, there is definitely a difference. And you're absolutely right. A lot of people will write their script longhand and then either read it, God forbid, or parrot it you know they'll learn it and 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 just and you can hear it and it is just little things like the spoken word on the whole is shorter sentences um it's punchier uh on the whole the spoken word is more immediate probably more colloquial people have an awful tendency when they're writing to write up so they'll try and use more technical language they'll try and make themselves sound clever they want to craft it I act often say to people, if you know, when I'm working with clients, I mean, similar to you as a presentation coach, um, you know, talk to me as if we're down the pub. Tell me this story. Tell me about this fact. You know, encourage me to do this thing as if we were sat having a pint by the bar and find that level of language. And that sort of it is a slightly more informal style, but it is just it's just a more welcoming language. Um, I think an awful lot of people. They want to make they think they sound clever. They think they sound more intelligent by using long phrases, by using long words, by using complicated stuff. And I just think that's rubbish. Keep it simple. Um, yeah, I d- that speech was too simple, said no one ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like actually people would rather that you said something that was easy to understand and, and, and fun to listen to than that you try and show off. And that's, I think, what the, the, is at the heart of a lot of it. People try to show off and people try to cover up for lack of expertise or lack of anything real to say. Yeah. I even saw on Twitter today, I follow um, uh, QI, you know, the TV program <laughs> QI. Of course, it's, it's it's you know, it's all about kind of highbrow language. And it, I can't remember the name of the word now, but there's a word which means people trying to use too much highbrow language. But the oh, really? word... But the, <laughs> But the word for that is almost unpronounceable and highbrow, ironically. So it's kind of it's a beautiful yeah. kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, yeah, everyone, I think that there's a lot of tension with my clients. Maybe you get it too, is they think that, but I'm in a business setting, oh. so I can't be simple. I can't be informal because I have to be professional in mm. air quotes. Mm. And how do you respond to clients that say, oh, no, I can't talk like I'm down the pub? You know, how do you respond to that, Steve? When you, I'm, I always say um, informality is not unprofessional. Yeah. You know, you're having a conversation with somebody, and if you are, if you know, in this, in in a way, you and I are, are talking one to one, then actually we're going to be informal. We're going to have a particular style of language, and you just have that conversation with a group of people instead of one to one. Yeah, my big thing is that all communication should be a two-way process. It's a conversation, whether it's yeah. you know, it is one-to-one or whether it's you standing in front of two thousand people. It's still a conversation. There's still feedback going on all the time that you, as a speaker, have to be aware of. So I think there is a real issue with that people. Yeah, think that you have to be highfalutin to sound professional. And the trouble is, so many business people end up going into what I call apprentice speak, and they start <laughs> sounding like a contestant on The Apprentice. You go, oh, shut up! You know, nobody talks like that. 
Nobody says, oh, yes, we're going to give 110 percent. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, it's like the apprentice candidates. It's 100 percent or less. No. Oh, no. There is no. Yeah. Or I'm really unique. No, you're not. There's no degrees of uniqueness. You are either unique or you are not. I mean, all those sorts of things, they really wind me up, I have to say. But it is, I think people use that language because they think that's the language of business. And that's why the apprentice candidates use it, because they think that that is the language you have to use to sound professional, which is utter, utter rubbish. Um, I think it actually makes you sound unprofessional because it does sound like you're covering your own back to hide the stuff you don't know. Because really, there's only there's only a few times when you have to be really scripted. The only three times I've I've done a scripted talk have been when I've spoken at funerals. And right. right, those are only three times I've definitely done that. And you know, one quite recently with our colleague Joy Marsden, who sadly passed away, and I had to do that. And and I thought I need to be. And scripted. you did it brilliantly, I have to say. Oh well, bless you, thank you. It was from, after my dad's funeral that was probably the toughest talk I've ever done. Um, really tough but 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 so I knew then I had to write it down just because I didn't want to have to think too much so I was still trying to get some eye contact mm. which is probably was probably my downfall because I, I then started to see the family and people upset and everything so it was it was tough to get through but but that's the only time I've really been scripted yeah. and politicians have to be scripted to stay to be careful what they say and if a company has made a big mistake and they've got to apologize for instance alton towers a few years ago you know there was a big accident wasn't there so you mm. when you've, you've got to be scripted in that way but otherwise things don't have to be scripted and i think people think everything has to be and uh yeah my my adage when i'm coaching people is know what you want to say but don't know your words i.e be yeah. aware of the points you want to make the stories you're going to tell all that sort of stuff but don't write it down. Don't learn it. Don't parrot it. The yeah. only exception to that, I always say, is your opening couple of lines and maybe your closing couple of lines. I yeah. think actually you should know your opening off by heart to be able to deliver it with confidence, to be able to deliver it clearly um, and to make an impact. And possibly yeah. the same at the closing, because, again, you want, to sound, you want it to sound um, as good as possible. Between yeah. that, no. I mean, I never, ever let anybody go on stage with a, a, a longhand script because you will end up reading it. It doesn't matter how yeah. much you practiced it. If you walk on stage with those notes in your hand, you will end up reading it. Um, and yeah, mm. you're absolutely right. Something like a funeral is a very different context, but certainly in a business context, know your words. Sorry, know what you want to say, but don't know your words. Yeah. And it's part, it's part of trusting yourself in the moment. So, so I talk a lot about great speakers are comfortable in their own skin to mm. an extent. They're just authentic. They just stand up. They're able to do that. And so, so that, so that partly of that is dealing with your anxiety and trusting that your experience will carry you through. Yeah. Because, you know, going back to the pub analogy, if I just meet somebody random in a pub and I say, what do you do? Everybody can speak for 10 minutes about what they do mm. Mm. without thinking about it. If they're, if they're just working in a warehouse or something else they can just speak they can just do that and you yeah. know that's just what we do isn't it as human beings you know what i mean yeah so we there's um but i think what happens is that people then overthink the whole process so they don't actually trust themselves to actually talk about their business to talk about whatever they do their charity or whatever else they just don't they just don't get that which is a real shame and i think sometimes it's just about trusting people isn't it it's yeah just about trusting yourself you know what i mean so completely and a lot of people then end up going into a sort of performance mode and it's almost as if they're they're oh, taking okay. on this character this sort of how they should present and all this stuff which just comes across as as, as really fake i mean actually one of the things i've done with a few 
of my clients when I've been coaching is I've sent them off to do some improv, some improv comedy, because yeah. <laughs> um, it's just brilliant at getting you to to play actually and to be in the moment. Um, and this whole idea of yes and, which is where you say something and you build on it. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I mean, I've done quite a lot of improv over the last few years, and it's taught me that if God forbid something goes wrong, the brown stuff hits the big revolving thing, something vaguely appropriate will come out of my mouth. And it, yeah. I, it means I've lost the fear of drying on stage. I know that I can recover out of it. Yeah. And actually, because if you're doing, when you're doing something like improv comedy, you're just bouncing off somebody else um, in a way that as a speaker, you should be bouncing off the audience. You're building on what each other say. And actually, it just gets yeah. you into that mode that you can, yeah, you can cope with most things. Yeah, I've done, I'll probably interview uh, my friend Paul Silky White. He, he runs the improv comedy courses here in Leeds and Yorkshire. Right. And I've, I've, I've done all of his courses, I've done all four courses now. Mm-hmm. And I did the last uh, over the last eighteen months. I did the last two, and they were improv, the improv courses, right. and uh, I've really enjoyed them. But what I've noticed is I didn't notice at the time. It does push me out of my comfort zone. But but now when I'm on stage, I've just noticed since I've done those improv courses, there's there's a basic one where you just basically learn yes and, yeah, you know? and then the the advanced one which was you know long form and stuff like yeah. that where you're yeah. doing twenty minute ones, and um. What I learned now is when I'm on stage, when something happens, if I'm hosting an event, I don't advertise myself as a host, but sometimes clients say, can you host it? So I, when I'm hosting an event or speaking, I've now got, it's like my brain is a bit quicker with those little lines now. Mm-hmm. It's like I've got an improv part of my brain that I didn't have two years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. And you just kind of clicks in and it helps. And it's not, it's not. You know, it's not Kenneth Williams. It's not smutty. It's not innuendo. It's just genuine, like, stuff. So I was doing a public sector NHS conference, and they sent me the list of all of their job titles. <sighs> and, of course, like, I, when there was, there was 200 people there, and so I was skipping through these job titles, and most of them I didn't understand because it was all acronyms, and it was all this. So I, so I went through these job titles and just made little one-liner quips mm-hmm. that I hadn't even pre-prepared. But it got some great laughs, you know, because they realized that their job titles were crazy, you know, you know. So I was calling that, you know, the, the pharmacists, drug pushers and all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> it was just lovely kind of light comedy. And they, they all had a real laugh together. And, but I wouldn't have been able to do that a couple of years ago. And it was the improv, I think, that sharpened that side of what I do. Yeah. And I think that for people, particularly those looking to be professional speakers, but certainly those just looking you know, who want to get more competent on stage. It's actually thinking around some of those some of those skills like improv, like comedy, all those sorts of things. Go out and get those skills, practice them, hone them. Um, and they make they all feed into what you end up doing on stage as a even if you're doing you know, a relatively dry business presentation. Um, they're all part of the skill set. Sure. So, so where do you stand on? Uh, I'm, I love obviously I love comedy. We've talked about comedy a lot and I love laughing and I've seen you mm-hmm. do stand up comedy as well. But yeah. so where do you? Where do you stand with kind of humor and presentations? And have you ever had clients who turn up and just say, please make me funny? And then you have to persuade them that maybe that's not the right thing to do. And, <laughs> you know, how have you how have you kind of you know, uh, yeah. to tiptoe through the tulips on, on the comedy thing? Because it's quite tricky, that one. It is. Um, I mean, I would on the whole say rather than when people say, oh, can you make me funny? I'll say, well, I can help you make make it humorous. And I think there is a difference. You know, you're not setting out with most business presentations to do stand up. Um, you're not setting out to get huge guffaws and all that sort of stuff. If it happens, great. But on the whole, what people want is humour. 
They want it yeah. to be informal. They want it to make people smile. They want you know, a bit of laughter. Um, and that, I think, is so much of that comes out of what's going on around you. And again, this is where improv, I think, plays a big part. I always say the be- yeah, a lot of the best humour will come out of what is everybody thinking at the time? So if you're if you're starting and you're in a room that is incredibly hot, um, start yeah start by just you know, you know welcome to welcome to the sauna um, yeah we'll be we'll be we'll be ramp- <laughs> we'll be putting steam on the coals fairly shortly and it's that sort of thing where just everybody will laugh yeah. because they all go yes it's really hot in here um, yeah. you know if you so, are so elephant in the room type stuff yeah absolutely I mean you know, if even if, if if there was something big on TV last night or if you know the weather's appalling or everybody's been delayed by a certain, by a traffic or something like that if you can just say out loud what everybody is thinking and what's bothering people actually people will laugh in response because it's a recognition and i think it's also great bonding because it breaks down that thing about i'm the presenter and you're the audience and actually says we're all in this together we all have the same experience and i think it's a great way to start building rapport um and it can just be as, as simple as a comment of on the decor in the room or the room itself um you know, that I always I've got and, yeah, and there are standard lines here. Don't you know, don't feel that you have to come up with something amazingly new. Um, if I'm in a hotel conference room with big chandeliers, I will almost always start with a line about, oh, you know, I love these chandeliers. But there is a drag queen outside wants her earrings back. Um, you know, and it's not a particularly <laughs> strong line, but it always gets you know, people laugh because they look up and they look around. And again, it's that yeah, yeah. we're all in the same room. It's I suppose it's breaking the fourth wall. And, you know, yeah. me as a presenter and speaker, that's important you've got to you've got to make mm. sure you're breaking the fourth wall and a lot of people particularly when they're stuck in a script might as well have that theatrical fourth wall in front of them because they're not actually acknowledging the fact that they're in the same room as the audience and that's i think a real problem yeah i think you're absolutely right and it's those yeah it's, it's the me too moments as clive got used to say creating those little me too moments when people put their hands up and and, and I actually get people to put their hands up sometimes at the beginning of my talk or or if I'm doing something, because even the act of putting the hand up, it's like, oh, we're in this together. Yeah. People get it. I ask some silly questions about the hand up, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm a big believer in interaction. I think there, you know, there are some speakers who just say, oh, no, particularly if you're doing a, you know, a keynote, if you're doing a big formal presentation that, you know, it's it's about your, you delivering. It's not about interaction. I'm like, Mm-mm. in this day and age, people expect to be able to interact um you know yeah. pe- people have got very short attention spans and i think you know straw poll shows of hands getting people to do stuff on the hashtag so you can pick it up on twitter i think it's really important and i think audiences really appreciate it and i think on, on the whole event organizers and bookers really appreciate it as well um, yeah. i do think the days of 45 minutes just me talking at you are over i think it's let's talk with you and i'm actually getting now i'm saying you know whereas once people might say can you do 45 minutes it's now, can you come and do 20 minutes and then let's have 25 minutes of q and I'm up for that. Yeah. So it suits me. Yeah. It means I've got less work to do preparing. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we have talked on the podcast about a short talk being harder than a long talk in some oh, way. Very much so. For preparation. So. But it is, it does mean you less. Yeah. I mean, I delivered, um, I was speaking at a business breakfast uh, last week. And I very rarely do these, but I was doing it as a favour for someone I've known really well. They gave me 40 minutes, presentation skills, general session on presentation skills, so I actually just did 20 mm-hmm. and then I opened it up and, and the other, the other 20 was questions and they loved it. Yeah. And they felt they got loads of value, you know, loads of people wanted to buy my book at the end. The people were connecting with me. And, and I think that was partly, partly because of my style and down to earth stuff, but partly because I just said, I'm just going to stop there now. Yeah. And then what, what questions have you got? And, and I had about five or six quality questions, you know? Yeah. Cause it means that the audience are driving the agenda. 
So they're telling you what they want to know. And that gives you a chance to deliver what they want to know. Whereas so often people, when they're putting together a presentation, what all they'll think about is what they want to get out of it. They don't necessarily think about what do the audience want to get out of it. Yeah. Whereas if you throw it open to questions, the audience get what they want because they have the opportunity to, to, to drive the agenda. So, yeah, I think that's a, a really strong way of doing it these days. That's great. So, yeah, some good stuff there. So you so know what you want to say, but don't know the words. Mm-hmm. Great. I like that, Steve. Um, don't be funny, but be humorous if, it's, yeah. if you can work it out. And also the day of 45 minute keynotes is over. I like mm. a bit of controversy. I like that. Absolutely. And I just, yeah, I, I know, you know, other people will disagree with me. So be it. I have no problem yeah. with people disagreeing with me. Um, but I just, yeah, just what I'm seeing and, and the sorts of things yeah. I'm getting people come and ask me to asking me to help them with. Mm. are much more interactive sessions these days yeah but i um there's always a lot of stuff in our industry and if you you know if you're on linkedin and stuff there's always things about once a week something pops up about virtual speaking mm. and there's there's a there's always some company somewhere in japan working on a hologram of a speaker to be in the room yeah. and, I, and i you know being a little bit of a geek i'm like oh wow that's very exciting but then you forget about the interaction yeah so, like, who's going to pay for me to be sat in my office to be in a hologram where I can't interact, I can't get eye contact, I can't see the colour of the, you know, the guy with the crazy shirt in the front row that I'm going to pick on a little bit. Yeah. You know, because you, you're you not going gonna to miss all that. So it's all very well, this virtual stuff, but actually it is going to, it means that all that interaction is pretty much gone, really, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, something like that, that hologram stuff and, and a lot of virtual speaking, once you get over the novelty, which will wear out in a, you know, about five minutes, yeah. actually, it's still going to be driven by the content. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, will we ever be replaced by holograms? I hope not. I don't think so, because actually people, people respond to yeah. interaction. They respond to being face to face with somebody. So, um, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think we're about to be replaced by bots anytime soon. No, no. <laughs> Great. Some, some, <laughs> some great stuff there, Steve. So, um, well, you've got a, a bit of a big thing coming up. A couple of years ago, I was president of the Professional Speaking Association, the PSA, mm. and you are the incoming president. I am. I'm currently president-elect. So um, I take over in October for a year. Um, I've already got plans for what I'm going to do. I, I, I'll be vis- visiting all the PSA regions, all 13 of them, and I know what I'm going to be doing there. And then I'm also planning our convention for October 2020, which is um yeah that's coming together and i've got sort of we've got a new venue and a new name and a bit of a new format so i'm i'm hoping to shake it up a bit i think we sort of you know i think it's important that we we do something new and keep it fresh all the time otherwise it just we end up doing same old same old so i'm yeah yeah, i'm looking forward to it i'm slightly nervous i'll be honest a because i've got big shoes to fill you know predecessors yourself included have, have 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 done an amazing job in the role but also because yeah i'm putting myself out there i'm putting mm. my ideas out there some people won't like them i'm aware of that <laughs> i was i was talking about the other day of a friend of mine who's a leader and i was saying that pretty much leadership now you know that they, they teach they teach leadership on all these kind of courses you know and that you spend three days doing peter drucker and you do this and that and but actually i think leadership courses now should pretty much be two days one is some basics of leadership and the second one is when you say something that challenges people they will push back at you how are you going to deal with it? Yeah. Because that's just a relative leadership, isn't it? You yeah, it, it, you want to take someone somewhere and out of 600 members in the PSA, obviously some people won't like that so much. And that's okay. Yeah. That's part of the deal. So have you have you thought about how you're going to prepare for 
you know, for those kind of things too, the challenges as well. Yeah, I mean, it's I it's very hard to know what those are going to be like and what where they're going to come from. You know, yeah. I know as like any membership organisation, there are always people with strong opinions, and um, if they feel they're not being heard, then they will kick off about it. But ultimately, you know, I will do what I think is best. Um, I'm aware that you know I'm only there for a year. Somebody else will follow in my footsteps, and they may well do something different. And that's great. That's as it should be, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know, if I can provide value for people, if I can uh, make sure that people come out of that year with a better business um, and hopefully making more money, that's a good thing. Um, but I want to spend, I want to take the year to 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 bust some myths around the speaking industry and things. And it's one of the reasons I think people should be members of the PSA if they are trying to be a, a professional speaker, yeah. is because it is the trade body for, the, for for what we do. And I think if you're not, you're missing out, and you're not going to be mm. across latest thinking and best practice and all those sorts of things so um yeah i am looking forward to it i'm trepidatious um <laughs> i also keep looking at my diary and trying to work out how i'm going to run a business while doing all these psa things at the same time um, yes <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's it, it, that's it, all right it, it just, it's fine. You just build, you just kind of build it in, Steve. I'm the, uh, it kind of works, and yeah. you know, and and yeah. I'm sure you'll be great at it. I mean, the 600 brilliant members. I love, I love the banter. I love the encouragement and the challenge that I get from the organisation. And I, I guess I'm like 10 years into it now, or something like that. Yeah. I, I can't imagine not being a member. I don't know why people would not want to join it. So yeah. if you if you're serious about speaking, you've got to hang out with other speakers. It's, yeah. no, it's a no-brainer. It is. I mean, the very first time I went along to a meeting in PSA London, um, it, OK, it sounds like a cliche, but I walked in and did think, oh, my God, this is my tribe. There are other people doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Up to that point, I hadn't realised it was a career. I just thought it was me showing off. Um, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, I thought, oh, hang on, there's a whole room full of show offs and they're getting paid for it more than I am. So, yeah, it is yeah, a bit of a cliche. But, yeah, it is for me, it is my tribe. Um, I think of think of PSA members as my colleagues um and it's you know it's a huge honor to be asked to take over the presidency for a year and for people to put their trust in me and i have to recognize i'm not going to be able to please everybody all the time some people may think less of me for what i'm planning for the for the year but you know what other people's opinion of me is none of my business it's their business absolutely yeah yeah you just got to do what you can with authenticity with integrity yeah so yeah I, i really enjoyed my year you'll be great steve i'm sure and you also your platform skills are great, too, because you do slightly, you know, there's a couple of kind of formal presentations or semi-formal ones, you know, mm. awards and this and that. And and also that I think the thing I learned from being president for myself and my own kind of platform skills was that it was the first time really I was representing an organization. Right. Yeah. You know, because if I'm just being Lee Jackson, uh, I can just be whoever I want, you know, yeah, yeah. and clients choose to book me or not. You know, people on this podcast will choose to like it or not. I don't mind that because if they don't like me, I wouldn't work with them anyway because they yeah, wouldn't sure. book me. So but but there's an element. Yeah, quite. A, it's, it's slightly different when you're representing an organization. And I quite enjoyed that side of it where I could, you know, be professional and represent organization, but also be a little bit cheeky as well. And mm. And I would often lighten up quite boring international speakers meetings with little little jokes and little asides, which seem to go down quite well, you know. Yeah, so. I mean, I think you and I are quite similar. Is neither of us like pomposity. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think both of us will set out to puncture it. It's just like it's one of those things where you think, yes, it's the trade body, but ultimately we're all volunteers. We're all doing it for our own benefit. Yeah. 
and you have to just take it with a pinch of salt some people do take it a bit too seriously still quite like the adage take your job seriously but don't take yourself too seriously yeah you know when people book me for a conference i will absolutely take my job very seriously i might be humorous on stage Mm -hmm. but i am deadly serious about my job as a a presentation coach speaker but i don't take myself too seriously and i know who i look like i know i look like keith chegwin and i'm fine with that i know i look like you know i mean it's those elephant in the room i know if i take myself too seriously it, it it actually creates a barrier between you and the audience, I think. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So, you know, and it's not that you want to send yourself up. Um, you don't want to undermine your own credibility, but you've got to have a sense of perspective about this. I mean, what we what we do is slightly bonkers. It has to be said yeah, yeah. Um, to put yourself out there all the time on stage and, and yeah. to enjoy it. But, yeah, you, you've got to have some fun with it, because if you don't have fun with it, your audience ain't going to have fun with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I came to visit you in Brighton a couple of years ago, didn't I, where you live mm. and uh, we uh, went to I went to the cafe, your partner's cafe and stuff, and it was great. And but even then, I remember talking to you. You were just talking about how mad Brighton was, you know, when we were there. Yeah. That it's you know it's you can't get a coffee for less than four pounds fifty, you know, and you have to. Oh, you, yeah. You're not allowed to receive a coffee unless you've got a beard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was <laughs> all like the most overqualified baristas in this city. It's extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need an MFC or something like that before you can serve coffee. Yeah. <laughs> But that's just how, you know, and I do the same for Leeds here. You know, that's just how it is. And it's great. So, um, so Steve, how, how do people get hold of you? And, and you've got a, you've got a presentation skills book as well, haven't you? I do. I have the authority guide to presenting in public speaking, which is available on Amazon and all the usual places. Um, and actually it's just been translated into Russian, interestingly. Um, wow. So uh, that's now on sale in Russia, weirdly. So I'm hoping for some Moscow booking sometime soon. And then, yeah, you can find me on, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Steve in Brighton. Um, Guess where I live. Uh, yeah, I'm at Stephen Brighton on Twitter. You can find my website, which is getyourvoiceheard.co.uk. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the usual places. Uh, yeah, right. it's um, yeah, get in touch. So thanks, Steve. Uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to supporting you as PSA president. And thanks for your honesty and for just uh, being yourself and giving us all those great tips. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, then. Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz. 